You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the Hot Stove Report. Going, going, goodbye baseball. On 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle app. Well, never have we needed a hot stove quite like we have the last couple of days. Glad you're with us as always. Aaron Goldsmith alongside Gary Hill, the one, the only Matt Nelson running things for us here tonight. Gee, man, it's good to see you as always. How have the snow days treated you and the Hill family? I snowshoed here, so <laughs> that was good. That's great. Snow days for everybody. It's perfect. You know, as as we've discussed, the Goldsmiths have, we got a lot to learn about how to snow day in Seattle. <laughs> The little bit of snow and it shuts down. Four-year-old, two-year-old, we are jerry-rigging snow clothing because why would we have any? <laughs> when it snows, it snows like three-quarters of an inch. It doesn't snow like eight inches. So we had rain boots with ankle socks, jeans with sweatpants over the top, hand-me-down mittens that were too small. These are all things that we've never needed. Because the problem with kids is they'll probably grow out of the snow stuff before they get a chance to wear it. So, yeah, you do what you can do. Even my lovely wife, Heather, said, should we we buy Hadley some snow boots? Well, no, because they're going to arrive. Why would we go someplace and buy them? They'll arrive and the snow will be melted and we won't see snow again for two years. So we got a a long ways to go to figure all this out. But you have sleds. Did you send them down a hill? You were well. Pre- no, we didn't. No? We had like we had some neighbors Put who said some cardboard or something. <laughs> <laughs> Send them down an icy hill. We had some neighbors who texted and said, "Hey, you guys should come on over to our street. We've got a bunch of kids in the cul-de-sac. We're playing in the snow." And we started walking over there, completely empty-handed, like the biggest <laughs> mooching family, just needing any type of snow recreation equipment possible. That sounds like so. A we way just to left the it. kids and walked back to our yeah, house. Yeah, no. If the neighbors have everything, you don't need to do anything. It's perfect. Yeah, that worked out well, uh, but. Uh, hopefully things will be getting to a more normal schedule uh, in the next day or so. This will be a fun hot stove show, as it always is. We've got a pretty jam-packed first hour in particular. We'll be hearing from new Mariners pitching coach Paul Davis. Gary, he has a really interesting background. Yeah. This will be his first time ever as a major league pitching coach, and he's pretty into kind of the biomechanics of pitching. I think he'll be a, a – particularly interesting guest. I am fascinated to talk to him uh, about his philosophy of pitching. He's he's done a lot of different things, including a college professor in his background. Seems like a really interested guy, interesting guy, and I'm anxious to hear what he has to say. Shed Long will be joining us in a short while from now. Mariners uh, latest acquired. Is that the last trade for Jared? My, it's, it seems like it's, it's been, been a long, long time. time. It's been a like, long, like There's some eerie silence going on. What is going on? I don't know. You just talked to him today. You I know. know. I, sh- I should know. You're right. Uh, Shed Long, who was acquired from the Reds, acquired by the Mariners, and he is uh, well, primarily a second baseman, but the Mariners have visions of him kind of being like a uh, Mark McLemore type. So it'll be interesting to see how that all pans out. But Shed Long will join us as well, a player who's had some really good success in the low to now mid to upper minor leagues. He topped out last year at AA. So uh, Shed Long will be joining us. We'll have a chance to kind of look at the Mariners from more of a big-picture standpoint. One of our favorite guys, 
a writer for The Athletic, Corey Brock, will join us in the second hour. Corey came out with a really interesting piece today, kind of pondering about <laughs> what on earth the 25-man roster might <laughs> yeah. look like. I think it's really it's a really interesting discussion because there are a lot of moving parts, as we know, and you never know what may happen between now and then, but it's an interesting conversation to have and project what the 25 may look like, especially when you're talking about the bullpen. I mean, there's there's a lot of interesting questions with the roster right now. Absolutely. So, Corey will be joining us in the second hour, and uh, we have a special truck day edition of uh, Gary Hill Montage School, which uh, Gary does that better than anybody. It was truck day yesterday through the snow and everything. We'll also hear a little bit from Jerry DePoto in the second hour talking about the state of the farm system, which has, well, needless to say, as you know, changed quite a bit since the end of the regular season. So Jerry talking all about where the farm system was, where he thinks it is now. And, of course, with well, within the last week or so, basically every major baseball publication has come out with their top 100 prospect list. And the Mariners, depending on what you read and where you read it, have anywhere from two to four players in that top 100 list. So good stuff from Jerry coming up. An excerpt from the latest Wheelhouse podcast, which uh, was recorded today. That will come out at the end of the show in the second hour. So a lot to get to. We will step aside when we come back. We'll hear from one of the latest Mariners, the newest Mariners, Shed Long. Mariners infielder joins us on the hot stove after this quick break. Back to more of the hot stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Shed presented an area of need. You know, this is a super athletic guy with real power, with real speed, who plays second base, and he's athletic and versatile enough to move around the field which is something we talked about when we walked in the mayor. That the familiar voice, of course, of general manager Jerry DePoto talking about our next guest, Shed Long, one of the newest Mariners, kind enough to join us here tonight on the hot stove. Shed, welcome to the Mariners organization. Thanks so much for joining us here thank tonight you, on the hot stove. You. Now thank you are. You, thank uh, you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now are you, you are in Bradenton, Florida. Is that right? Yes, sir. I'm, I'm currently in Bradenton, Florida. I'm at like an, an athlete seminar that my agency is putting on here at IMG Academy. Very nice. And it's just like, you know, like the the, the guys in our organization uh, come down and we train together for a couple of days and uh, go through a few classes, you know, just about like social media stuff, uh, you know, about financial stuff, about, um, you know, off the field stuff after your career, like just, just different things, different aspects, you know, life and stuff about the game. Oh, wonderful stuff. Well, Shed, we're excited to talk with you because you are just really such an interesting player. And as you heard Jerry talk about, somebody who obviously brings a lot of value to the Mariners. First of all, when you got the news that you were coming to the Mariners, was this a surprise to you? I mean, it was definitely a surprise because, you know, I had only heard about the Yankees all over social media. I never really heard about the Mariners. But, you know, when I when I got the news about going to the Mariners, I was, I was really excited, you know. Um, I definitely, I'm definitely excited to be a part of the organization. I'm definitely ready to get it going. Well, you come from the Reds and now onto the Mariners, and I know you had a chance to speak on the phone with Jerry when the trade was made. And from what he has conveyed to us, he, although believes very firmly in your abilities to be an everyday second baseman one day at the major league level, he also feels that you have this wide array of tools where you could be a player on the corners as well. And it sounds like he kind of painted a picture of one day you being able to fill a variety of roles. Can you can you tell us a little bit about that phone call with Jerry Depoto? Oh, I mean, it was a good phone call. You know, I mean, he welcomed me to the organization, um, and he just he just talked about you know 
things that are going on this year and things we have going on within the organization. I mean, he did talk to me about, you know, being a utility guy, but, I mean, he also talked to me about being an everyday second baseman. And, I mean, he expressed, you know, the love that he had for my game and all. So, you know, I mean, I was really, really excited after I got off the phone with him. But, you know, I mean, he also expressed the goals of this year as a team, you know, and, I mean, that was the biggest thing. Him talking about that and, you know, talking with him about the Japan trip. So, you know, the biggest goal right now is just to make that Japan club for sure. Now, you originally were a catcher. What was that transition like from catcher to second base? Uh, it, it was it was kind of easy. It wasn't, it wasn't very bad, you know, um, because I had Barry Larkin on my side, and he, he helped me a lot, like a lot, a lot. And so, you know, um, just moving over, moving um, from the catcher to the infield, you know, with him every day by my side, you know, giving me drills to do and, you know, just really paying attention to detail just closely, you know, it, it really helped me a lot. Now, now, Shed, now you say that very casually. Like, <laughs> yeah, I got Barry Larkin on my side. <laughs> you know, nothing to it. Now, what was it like for you the first time that you met and I would assume worked with Barry Larkin. Were you a little starstruck? What'd you say? Were you a little starstruck the first time you met and worked with Barry Larkin? Oh, I mean, for sure. You know, um, definitely. Like, I mean, the first time I met him, I mean, it's like, it's Barry Larkin. I mean, you know, the name speaks for itself. But, um, I mean, I, I kind of think that, you know, myself, you, you, I kind of take it for granted sometimes just because we're together so much. You know what I mean? But, I mean, it, it comes from – I feel like it comes from him. You know, he's such a great person and down to earth. I mean, like, you know, you think about it, it's like, oh, it's Barry Larkin, it's Barry Larkin. But when, I'm, when you meet him, I mean, it's just like he's one of us. You know what I mean? He just happened to be good at what he does. <laughs> <laughs> How exactly did he help you specifically? Oh, I mean, in in every aspect of the game, you know, the mental aspect, you know, physically, um, he he really broke down the the correct steps to fielding the ground ball and playing on the infield. He really broke it down to me, dumbed it down, you know, to make it simple, to where that he knew that I would understand. You know, I mean, he didn't have to make it as simple as he did, but I mean, with him being the the good coach that he is, you know. He, he dumbed it down all the way to where I really understood what was going on. And, I mean, I really I really gained a lot of knowledge from him. And, I mean, I'm still looking to gain more knowledge because, I mean, I'm excited to have Perry Hill with us now with the Mariners. But, you know, Larkin really gave me the base for me, for me fielding ground balls and being good in the infield. You've obviously had a ton of success in your minor league career so far. Who are some of the other people that have really made a difference for you during this journey? Oh, I mean, you know, first off, I mean, without God, none of this is possible, you know. But, I mean, my parents, I mean, they've been there every step of the way. I mean, I talk to them daily. You know, we have a great relationship. So, I mean, definitely my parents. I mean, they know. They know more about me than anybody. And then, I mean, after them, you know, it's like it's Larkin. It's, it's Eric Davis, um, another great red, you know. Eric Davis helped me out a lot. 
you know, he, he really stuck by my side and, and called me when things weren't looking too good. I mean, another guy was Delano DeShields Sr. You know, he, he really stays by my side. I mean, still to this day, him, Eric Davis, and Larkin, like they're always by my side talking to me, encouraging me, and just, just giving me his knowledge when I need it. Shed Long is our guest. He was acquired by the Mariners from the Cincinnati Reds. Mariners second baseman. Now, Shed, since you brought up your family and your parents, now a lot of people are saying, now wait a second, his name is Shed? But now your full name is Shedrick, correct? Right. Now, right. who who are the only people who call you Shedrick? Mom and Dad, do even they call you Shed? I and mean, tell, tell us tell us how the, how the naming rights go within the family. Honestly, um, no one really. <laughs> 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 okay, well, we will not make the mistake uh, my, to call you Shedder. You know my, you know, you know my grandmother. My grandmother actually says it a lot. You know, but I'm her, I'm her baby. So I mean, most of the time she's baby and calling me, you know, baby or something like that, a man. But <laughs> she calls me Cedric more than anything or anyone. Well, it's always good to have grandma on the side. Uh, you know, Shed, oh, for sure. is uh, is Alabama home for you year-round? Yes, sir. Um, I mean, other than the season, I'm there there for the holidays a lot. Um, I do a lot of off-season training in Orlando. Um, but for sure, Alabama is definitely my home. Now, is there anybody on the Mariners right now, either – projected to be with a big league club or somebody in the organization that you have some type of past baseball relationship with, a familiar face when you report to Peoria? See, for sure. Because Now, is that simply because of the, the Florida connection? I know he and Barry Larkin, you know, D seems to know every Hall of Fame. <laughs> so, he knows. I know he knows Barry Larkin. Is, is there one of those two connections? Uh, yes. I mean, I, um, I've, known the, I've known the Gordons, you know, for a little while now. But um, D and I, our connection came. It did, like, when I started working out with Larkin down in Florida and D was around, I mean, like, since the first day we met, I mean, it was like he was my big brother. It was like we knew each other our whole life. And, I mean, ever since then, I mean, that was, like, five years ago. So, I mean, ever since then, I mean, we've been super close. Like, in the season, like, if I'm messed up, if it's not – if it's a player that I'm calling, you know, I'm calling him. I'm I'm calling D. I'm like, hey, you got to go watch my video. Like, you got to tell me something. Like, what what you got for me, you know? So, I mean, you know, we have that kind of relationship now. I mean, we were even together today. We just hit together this morning. <laughs> now, now this is – we got to know D, obviously, a little bit last year. And I would feel like if you're, like, tight with D Gordon, then you have – gone through a drive through line multiple times in his Lamborghini. Like, is this is this true? Like, have you done that? Have you experienced that with D. Gordon? Because I can't imagine being friends with him and not having that happen. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah. I, of it. I mean, it's a real experience. He, 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 does, he, he does have the diet of, like, a high school freshman, doesn't he? Uh, I mean... I guess if that's what you want to call it, but I can't really be mad at him because I'm kind of on that same diet. <laughs> well, Shed, I know Mariners fans are really excited to see you play. 
For those who haven't, how do you describe yourself as a player? I mean, I'm a, I think I'm an all-around guy. You know, um, offensively, I mean, I can hit for average and hit for power. You know, hit the long ball. But, I mean, defensively, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play some solid defense as well. You know, so, I mean, it's an all-around game. and I mean, I'll run the bases and steal when that needs to be, when there's a time that calls for it and, you know, get the extra base. But, like I said, I, I think it's just an all-around game. And, I mean, it'll just be fun, you know, playing with excitement. I like to play with a lot of excitement, you know, always smiling. Shedrick, when you are in your process of your pregame routine and you are preparing – more mentally than almost physically for each each and every night. Are you more of a see-the-ball-hit-the-ball kind of guy? Are you um, a young player that is uh, heavy into the data? Where do you fall in terms of how you prepare for a, a given pitcher that particular night? Uh, I mean, I pay attention to, you know, the reports, the scouting reports that we have going, but I'm definitely a, a see-the-ball-hit-the-ball kind of guy, you know, not try to think too much, you know, just just let your ability take over. You know, I mean, I'm a guy that thinks like, you know, back in the day when everything was always good as a kid, when you were the best player, you, you weren't really thinking. You just go out there doing it, having fun. So, I mean, it's still the same game. So why, why change that now? You know what I mean? What are the expectations for yourself coming into this season? To be better than last year. <laughs> Well, Shed, sure. it's yeah. been Shed, it's been a real pleasure getting to know you a little bit here. We look forward to seeing you in person once we uh, all get down to Peoria. But uh, congrats on coming to the Mariners. We're so happy to have you as part of the organization, and we look forward to watching you play in a Mariners uniform this spring. Oh, yes, sir. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. You got it. There it is, Shed Long. Only Grandma can call him Shedrick, as he was kind enough to join us here tonight on the hot stove. He is second baseman, but a guy who – has the versatility to play on the corners on the infield and on the outfield. Well, 2019 single-game tickets are on sale now, which means that you can purchase seats to some of the biggest games of the year, including opening day against the World Series champion Boston Red Sox. You can also catch series against the Cubs, the Cardinals, Yankees. Enjoy six fireworks nights. So stop on by Mariners.com to pick up your tickets. I've got plenty more to get to here on the hot stove. That was sure was fun getting to know Shed Long a little bit. Uh, we can tell we'll probably be interviewing him a couple of times over the course of the season. He's got a good personality, like so many of these other that. guys that we've yeah. talked to. Yeah, yeah. A lot of new and exciting players to get to know. When we come back, we'll be talking with the new pitching coach for the Mariners. Paul Davis joins us on the hot stove after this quick break. All things Mariners, all off season. The hot stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. We've dubbed Paul the pitching professor. He is, uh, he's a former college professor, has a very smart approach to what we're doing, and, and we feel like we can give him the tools and areas where he needs help, and he can give us something that we just can't access elsewhere. Jerry Depoto talking about our next guest, new pitching coach for the Mariners, Paul Davis, calling from his home in Omaha, Nebraska. Paul, welcome to the show. Welcome to the Mariners. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. Thank you. Now, first of all, Paul, you know, we, we feel like we're in like an Arctic freeze right now because it's been, it's been like under 30 degrees in consecutive <laughs> days. I mean, how are things looking in Omaha these days? Well, uh, they're not looking very good right now. The next couple of days are going to be pretty rough. 
Uh, probably a high of uh, low 20s tomorrow, and the temperatures dropping down to, I think, zero by Friday morning, and some ice and snow. So when will you be getting to Peoria is the only question. I'll be getting in Saturday. Okay. Well, this, that sounds like very good timing on your part, Paul. <laughs> well, it is. It is. Paul, we're, we're really excited to talk some pitching with you. First of all, uh, how excited are you to be with the Mariners and to be a major league pitching coach for the first time in your career? Well, I'm very excited. It's a, a great opportunity for me, a great challenge. And the Mariners are a, a very good fit for me. I think that a lot of the things that, that they've put in place the last few years and, and want to continue to do fit my skill set. And as, as Jerry mentioned in the clip there, that, that they have some things that can really help me. And, and I think that I bring some things that can help the organization. So I'm looking forward to it. Can you expand a little bit as to what you think Jerry might be referring to on both sides of that? Well, I think that, that Jerry is a, is a very progressive guy and has, envisioned uh, really kind of a, a 21st century way of, of doing things. I think that's the easiest way for, for me to put it. And that they've set up some things that, that can really help that and cr create a, a very collaborative type of model where you can, you can do a lot of different things and take advantage of the technologies that we have at our disposal now. And I think from, from my perspective, I, I have a pretty varied background, and I've, I've been able to, to utilize some of those things in the last six years uh, as, a, as a minor league guy with the Cardinals. And, and now I think that uh, I'll be able to, to do a few more of the, of the things that, that I've been doing and to, to use some of my strengths uh, very well. You mentioned technology. How much has teaching pitching changed even 10 years ago to right now? Well, the biggest thing is that using different technologies, TrackMan in particular, but you just you don't have to guess about as many things. And I think a lot of things that, that went on before, you would you would have an, an idea that say this is this guy's best pitch, but but now you're able to to capture the information. You're able to use it. You can you can look at what has happened uh, as far as this pitch, that pitch, and it's right in front of you. So there's, there's no guessing what whatsoever. And that you can clearly see, well, this guy, he gets X number of swings and misses with this pitch and he gets only half as many swings and misses with that pitch. Or if he throws this pitch in this area, he has much better results than when he throws it in this part of the strike zone or under the strike zone, if it may be. So from, from that perspective, I think that it, it really helps you identify what a pitcher's strengths are very quickly. And then you can communicate that. Plus so, so many of the things, the nice thing is that you have visuals, uh, you know, we can use video or you can create pictures, heat maps that can help because different pitchers learn in different ways. And even some of the, the things like TrackMan, some of the units or RapSoto, it helps you um, get across certain ideas that can translate to a pitcher's feel. 
because it's, it still is a lot about feel in, in any type of uh, assigned motor activity, whether it's pitching or hitting a golf ball or, or shooting a basketball, that if you, if you have some feedback that can help with the field, then pitchers can learn faster. Paul Davis is our guest. He's the Mariners' new pitching coach. And, Paul, I'm very curious, what does the interview process look like when you are interviewing to become a major league pitching coach? Well, it was an all-day event and in, involved multiple people. So I, I came in and, and met with met with Jerry and Andy McKay in the, in the morning and then met with Scott and uh, a couple other people, Justin Hollander, the assistant GM, and uh, then had another session where talked with four, four or five people, a little everyone, and, and then uh, a couple of the research guys, I met with them. So it's a, it's a pretty all-encompassing project. And if you, if you think about it really from the, the aspects that you have in, in pitching, there's, there's certainly the front office, the research people, um, assistant GMs, and you're going to talk to player development people that really to get everyone's, uh, I guess their take and, and everyone has questions and how you could fit in. And again, I think that fits with, you know, I, I don't know what it would be like with another organization, but um, knowing what the, the process that the Mariners have in place and, and how that's envisioned, I, I see now, you know, how, how the interview was set up for that. You've coached at a number of different levels in your career. When did you start diving into the analytics? I guess really my my first year in professional baseball, with, um, and that was 2013 with, with the Cardinals. And so really the, the, the guy who's been my mentor uh, as, a, as a baseball coach, as a pitching coach, is Brent Strom, who's the, the pitching coach for the Astros, and, and he was instrumental in getting me hired by the Cardinals. And he, he was the minor league pitching coordinator at the time. And, and TrackMan was really just kind of gaining ground in baseball and, and being used on a fairly widespread basis. And so I was able to get access to TrackMan information from uh, minor league games and some major league games. And so I was able to to really dig in on my own and, and start doing some research and, and, and reading a lot and trying to understand what it meant and, and looking at the results and, and trying to figure out, okay, how, how can we use this to, um, to identify better pitches and, and pitchers and how can, we, how can we help guys to improve performance? How much did it change everything you knew up until that point? I mean, did, did you have to throw everything out the window at that point, or was there more of a marriage between what you already had known and been teaching about pitching and what you were finding out? Well, honestly, there were a lot of things that, I, that, that were really eye-opening in that you had to, to, to kind of take a step back and say, okay, we've always thought this, but that's that doesn't look like it's really the case. And so, um, yeah, it, it was very eye-opening, and, and uh, I'm, I'm still learning all the time that uh, there's, there's a lot of different ways that pitchers can be successful, but it's, it's really just a matter of kind of putting the puzzle pieces together and, 
and seeing how how it fits for them. But but yes, when I when I first really started digging into it, it, it was uh, th- there was a process there of several months where uh, and even even into the the next year where I was I was learning pretty rapidly and and a lot of things like you said they they didn't fit with conventional wisdom. Paul Davis is our guest. He's the Mariners' new pitching coach. And Paul, we we cannot talk the numbers and analytics without talking about your son. I mean, do I understand this correctly that your son Nick is uh, very high ranking in the Brewers' baseball ops and analytical department? Well, he works in their in their research department. Yes, uh, he's uh, he's he's an analyst, uh, man, manager of, of baseball research and quantitative analysis. Is his title i believe but uh and he's he's worked for them uh, about the same time he's, he's been in professional baseball about as long as i have he he began uh working for the brewers after his junior year of college so what is thanksgiving dinner <laughs> conversation like in the davis household between you and nick i mean are you just nerding out this whole time over turkey and stuffing what's going on uh, that that is a pretty appropriate uh picture that uh my my younger son is he's not uh really a baseball fan and he he laughs that as soon as we get together it's immediate baseball conversation yes and he went to mit as well is that correct yes my goodness (laughs) all right well uh (laughs) can we get him on the show sometime paul (laughs) you'd have you'd have to call him you must be a very proud father. That's fantastic. That's good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it is. Fun. It will be very fun this year when uh, we go to Milwaukee. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so that that'll be fun. My although my my son bought uh, my my wife a uh, a Christian Yelich jersey for for Christmas. That uh, she she like a lot of others got on the Christian Yelich bandwagon this season, and so. Uh, so I'm going to have to. I told her I would have to uh, to get her a Mitch Haniger jersey to wear as well. Very nice. That's a good move. Very good move. A lot of people were on the Yellowish bandwagon for good reason. Yeah, hey, you have such an interesting background, really unique. I mean, you've you've coached at a number of levels. You've been a college professor. Did you ever see yourself in this position as a pitching coach in Major League Baseball? Not really. Uh, I, I'm a coach. And that's that's really what what I've been and, and what I love to do. But uh, when I, when I met Brent Strom in 2001 and we became very good friends, he, he's done a tremendous amount to, to help me and to mentor me. And he'd always said that he wanted to, to try and hire me and, and to get me into professional baseball. And, um, you know, I, I, I didn't really envision it happening um, and then the opportunity arose. And so I think I'm just very fortunate to, to really be in the right place at the right time that, uh, there's, there's a lot of people like me actually that are, are beginning to, to be hired and, and are having very nice careers in professional baseball that, that they bring value to organizations that, um, but baseball as an industry is, is changing. Final couple of minutes with Paul Davis, Mariners' new pitching coach. And, uh, Paul, during your five years in the Cardinals organization working in a variety of roles, did you ever cross paths with Marco Gonzalez? 
Yes, Oshawa was with the Cardinals for six years. Okay. So, uh, but uh, yeah, so so Marco was was drafted my my first year, and then uh, spring training, and and actually in 2015 I was the rehab pitching coach, and and Marco had uh, an issue that he was dealing with at the time, and was was down in the rehab group for several weeks. So so yeah, we were together every day at that point. And now you. You pitched at Creighton, but do I did I see the timeline incorrectly that you missed Scott's service at Creighton by a year? Yes, yes, by by one year. Well, he is and, a, he's uh, a Creighton uh, Hall of Famer. We, so. <laughs> yes, yes, and, and we really we never had really crossed paths because, as as I said to him when when we uh, met in my interview, that uh, you know jokingly, it's true. Uh, he he was. Uh, a way better player than I was and actually had a career. And, uh, <laughs> so, so he was, he was off playing. And then, and once he was not playing, he began his, uh, his career in the, in front offices and now managing. And, and I was doing other things. So, um, yeah, we just had never crossed paths. Well, Paul, it's been great getting to know you a little bit, and we look forward to uh, getting to know you a little bit more under the sun in Arizona. Sounds like you're heading that way shortly. Stay warm in the time being there in Omaha, and we can't wait to see you face-to-face. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you guys having me on. Well, thank you for the time. There is Mariners' new pitching coach, Paul Davis, gracious enough to give us some time here tonight on a chilly evening back home in Omaha, Nebraska. Good to have Paul on the show. Well, fans, be sure to be on hand for all the action of the 2019 Mariners season by becoming a season ticket holder today. Whether you're looking to spend quality time with your family and friends or have more face time with your employees and clients, make the ballpark your Northwest summer home with packages starting at just 10 games. Visit Mariners.com slash 19 to pick up more information. Well, you know, Thursday would have been the great Jackie Robinson's 100th birthday. And we thought it only appropriate to spend some time celebrating uh, truly an American hero. When we come back, we're talking a little Jackie after this timeout. Back to more of the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. New York 6, Brooklyn 1, last to fourth. Robinson stands deep in the batter's box, just a little way away from the plate. Rashes delivery, curve, swung on, hit right back through the middle, out over second in the center for a base hit. Joe DiMaggio comes in, scoops the ball up off the green carpet, throws in the second Rizzuto, and Robinson holds on at first with a single to center. It was a curveball he hit, and he was just waiting for it. Hit it right back through the middle. Yes, he did. Jackie Robinson would have turned 100 years old on Thursday. Gary, fine work digging up that audio gem. Ah, isn't that a great highlight? DiMaggio fielding the ball in center. That's perfect. Do you think at the time radio broadcasters – I mean, did they realize how epic that was to call a play like that? Just a routine I know. ground ball up the middle right. when you it's say just, those two names? It's just a base hit. But, I mean, we listen to that now like, Jackie Robinson hit the ball to Joe DiMaggio. That is the coolest thing ever. Well, uh, one of the all-time great Americans would have turned 100 years old on Thursday, and we thought it was only appropriate to spend some time here on the hot stove to honor the great Jackie Robinson. And first, let's hear from a man who had a, a great deal to do with uh, this movement as well, and that was a gentleman who's one of the game's all-time great ambassadors. There's no question about that. Kansas City's own Buck O'Neill. See, Jackie was different than we 
were. See, we were acclimated to segregation, but not Jackie Robinson. We'd been going to a filling station in Oklahoma for 20 years. We'd never gone to the restroom because the sign on the door said, white men only. We played in that town. They played in that town that night. The next morning, we got they get up, go to the filling station. The man comes out, put the hose in the tank, say, you boys played a great game last night. You filled up the ballpark and put on a great show. Jackie gets off the bus and started to the restroom. The man said, boy, where you going? I'm going to the restroom. Boy, you know you can't go to that restroom. Jackie said, take the hose out of the tank. Now, the man thought, we got a 50-gallon tank on this side and a 50-gallon tank on that side. He's not going to sell that much gas to one customer until we got back there again. You know what he said? You boys go to the restroom, but don't stay long. See? But the gist of that story is this. From that day on, the Monarchs never got gas at the station. They couldn't go to the restroom. They never played in the town. Didn't have a place for them to sleep, a place for them to eat. Jackie said, this is a capitalistic society. You're making money for these people. You just don't have to put up with this. This is what Jackie did. And I tell you what, see, Jackie wasn't the best ball player we had. That time, Jackie was the right guy, though. Baldwin. See, when Branch Rickett signed Jackie Robinson to that major league contract, that was the beginning of the modern-day civil rights movement. That was before Brown versus the Board of Education. Yeah, that was before Sister Rosa Parks said, I'm tired, I'm not going to the back of the bus today. Martin Luther King was a sophomore at Mohaus at the time. So that really started the ball a rolling when they signed Jackie Robinson, an outstanding human being and a great athlete. The one and only Buck O'Neill, which is awfully tough to follow that. You can't. I mean, it's Buck O'Neill. He, he sums it up perfectly. You know, quick aside, dealing with Buck O'Neill, you know, Jerry DePoto, when he was playing for the Rockies and lived in Denver, Jerry had a truly epic memorabilia collection. Mm. Like so much so that visiting players would come to his home to see his basement, which was like a mini Cooperstown in a lot of ways. And he had this rule that if you're going to come and see essentially his exhibit, you had to leave something, right? You'd leave a signed pair of cleats or a bat or a ball or whatever. There was a moment in time where Buck O'Neill and two other former Negro leaguers came through Denver went to Jerry's home, went through his museum, and sat in Jerry's backyard with the grill on, <laughs> had dinner, and Jerry just listened to Buck O'Neill tell story oh. after story after story all night long. Can you even imagine what no. that would be like? that would be the best. Like, excuse me, I need to get every recording device possible yeah, and exactly. make sure it's got a full battery. Right. Well, hearing Buck O'Neill talk about Jackie Robinson is about as powerful as it gets. Um, only man who can hold a candle to that is... Uh, somebody who obviously got to know Jackie very well, a conversation we had a number of years ago with uh, the all-time great Vin Scully. Vin, this day every year is a special day for everybody involved in baseball, but it must be even more special for you. What are your emotions like on the 15th of April every season? Well, because I go back so far with the ball club, because I knew Jackie reasonably well, I also am thrilled when Rachel shows up because I have nothing but the best and highest regard for her. Uh, so it brings back the memory not only of Jackie, but what happens is it brings back the memory of all those other players who played with him and against him. Uh, I first met him in spring training of 1950. 
So he'd already been up a couple of years. And the first road trip, actually the end of the spring training, we left Vero Beach to go to New York by way of Texas. So that's quite a trip. And uh, we lived on trains and would uh, get to a hotel to take a shower and move on. And it brought the team together. And probably one of the, the great things that happened to Jackie and for Jackie was the thought that uh, Mr. Ricky had about Vero Beach. Vero Beach was a former naval air station, and the Dodgers were able to lease it for a dollar a year from the government. And the best part about it was uh, for those black players who eventually came into the organization, there was nowhere to go. Uh, the only they couldn't go to any of the cities really in in and around Vero Beach except for one small town called Gifford, and it was a black city really a black community mostly all black people who worked in the area. So the only where only place a, a black Dodger could go would be to Gifford, and there wasn't anything. There was a pool hall there. I know that, and I know some <laughs> of them shot pool, but that's about all they had. The positive about that was being restricted on campus, so to speak, uh, brought us all together, much more so than it would be today. Today, they'd be gone as soon as practice is over. But living in Vero Beach at Dodger Town, you had to amuse yourself with others. And that brought Jackie very close to all of his teammates, along with Roy Campanella and Don Newcomb. I can remember as a kid broadcaster after dinner, sitting outside the dining room, and Roy Campanella would sit on a little wooden bench. It, we eventually had a sign, uh, Campy's Bullpen. And Campy would sit and tell stories, and uh, the rest of us would sit around and ask him, and he would talk about the, the so-called, in those days, Negro Leagues. And Roy would talk about playing three games in three different cities in one day. But the point of it is it brought us so much closer together. And I think it eased Jackie's uh, entry into organized ball, or at least the majors. On the broadcast tonight, Dodgers fans will be able to hear you talk about countless stories about Jackie Robinson. What is your favorite Jackie Robinson story? Well... I'm not sure if it's my favorite, but it's certainly appropriate for tonight. Uh, we were on the road in Cincinnati many, many years ago, in the very early 50s. And uh, although Jackie had received threatening mail of sorts, uh, the one when we were going to Cincinnati was taken very, very seriously. And there was a tremendous police presence on the rooftops of the ballpark, on the roof of the uh, old laundry, which was back a left field, on the roof of the post office, which was down the right field line. They were everywhere. It was that serious. And uh, before the game, they had the usual team meeting, but there was a lot of tension in the air. We were all aware of the possible threat. And uh, while all the players sat there with the coach and the managers, everybody, uh, we had a left fielder named Gene Hermansky, who was from Brooklyn. Big, blonde, good-natured, happy-go-lucky guy. And the room was pretty quiet. And all of a sudden, Hermansky said, I've got it. And everybody kind of straightened up and looked at him and said, what? 
And Gene said, we'll all wear number 42, and nobody will know which one is Jackie. Well, it broke up the room. It broke the tension. And little did we know that Gene's suggestion would eventually come to pass, because tonight, like Gene said, everybody will wear number 42. And I think that's probably my favorite story. That's a wonderful story. Vin, you're such a gentleman with your time. We appreciate it so much. And you're such a gentleman. You won't let me call you Mr. Scully. So with that in mind, Vin, thank you for your time. It's been an absolute honor. Aaron, thank you very much for the privilege of talking to the good folks up in Seattle. The greatest, Vin Scully. Uh, that interview was done on Jackie Robinson Day, I believe in 2016, when just by happenstance, the Mariners were in L.A., playing the Dodgers at Dodger Stadium in interleague play. I mean, what are the odds, Gary? It, it, and it's perfect. I, there, are, there is audio that we play from time to time, and there are some of my favorites. Dave Niehaus talking to Ted Williams is one of them, and that is another one, that, especially the story and the way he tells it. Uh, it's, I love it. I can never hear that enough. We play it every year on Jackie Robinson Day. We hear you and Vin Scully, but uh, celebrating his 100th, I thought would be the appropriate time to do it, and I can never hear that one enough. Oh, Gene Hermansky. It's, uh, it's <laughs> yeah, just like Gene the greatest Hermansky. description of Gene Hermansky of all time. And the story behind the story was, of course, I'm terrified to ask Vin Scully for an interview. Sure. And I, he basically had a handler because he's Vin Scully. He's Vin Scully, and he was nearing the end of his career, and a lot of people realize that. And everyone coming to town wants to get an interview with Vin Scully. And so I say to his guy, I say, hey, dude, I'd really like to get Vin for only like three minutes. Mm-hmm. And like I underscored that with body language and with tone, right? <laughs> like three minutes. Three minutes. And he said, let me talk to Vin. And they said, well, how about tomorrow? And tomorrow was Jackie Robinson Day. And I was thinking, oh, this is not going to happen. I mean, if there's a- – Name a busier person in the world on Jackie Robinson Day <laughs> who, than Vince Scully. Who was the play-by-play announcer when Jackie Robinson was playing. <laughs> and so, so yeah. I, of course, I defer to their schedule. I say, sure, if that's when Mr. Scully wants to do it, that's when we'll do it. And I walk into his booth, and, of course, he's the only one there, and he's dressed as dressed impeccably yeah. as you could ever imagine. And I'm shaking hands with Vince Scully, and it's as just – gratifying as it is terrifying at the same time. And his handler looks me in the eye as I'm about to start this interview and says, you said three minutes, right? Yeah, absolutely. I said three minutes, which I'll be honest, like in kind of like industry talk, I'm like, oh, you know, three minutes. Yeah, three. Yeah. Like maybe five. Five. And Six if things are going well. But you I don't can know. tell this guy was like, it's going to be three minutes, Aaron. Uh-huh. I was like, yes, it will be. So I asked my first question to which Vin gives a perfect 10 out of 10 response. And it is. Three minutes long. (laughs) And let me tell you, I don't know much about radio, but I do know this. One response is not an interview. Uh And so I I have to make the gut decision on the fly. Do I ask another interview and risk upsetting the handler? Or do we just pull the ejection handle now and just bail after one question? And I mean, come on. This is the only time I'm ever going to talk to Vince Scully. I ask a second question. With that, Gene Hermansky is born all over again. (laughs) And... It's, and now we have the greatest story ever on tape. And nobody got upset. His yeah, handler just, was fine, and, of course, Vince Goldie could not have been more of a gentleman. So uh, happy 100th as of uh, Thursday to uh, one of the greatest Americans to ever live, Jackie Robinson, and, of course, one of the best ball players to ever live as well.
We've got uh, plenty more to get to. Hour number two with the hot stove is coming right up. This is the Hot Stove Report. Going, going, goodbye baseball. On 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle app. Hour number two of the Hot Stove. Happy you're with us, as always. Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill. Matt Nelson running things for us tonight. Special treat. You know, Gary, that was a uh, that was a solid first hour. It really was. A shed long. Paul Davis, tribute to Jackie Robinson. A reminder that if you have missed part of the show or you simply think that the show is that great that you want to hear it for a second time. That's a great idea. Or a third or fourth. Hey, run amok. You can always find the show the next day on the Mariners' official baseball podcast, which is typically produced and hosted by Gary Hill. But this time of year, we podcast the hot stove. So, yeah, Gary needs some time off. Time off, yeah. It's grueling. Yeah. But you can always uh, go back and listen to uh, previous week's hot stove reports and uh, certainly the most recent ones as well. So a chance to uh, go back and take another listen to some great guests. In the second hour, we will be uh, talking with Corey Brock, who covers the Mariners for The Athletic. We'll also be hearing from Jerry Depoto as he talks about the current state of the Mariners' farm system and the updated rankings that have come out. A lot of, well, not a lot, basically every publication has come out with their top 100 list uh, this time of year. And, you know, Gary, one thing I did want to bring up to you, just in a very casual baseball conversation, I mean, you are an MLB at-bat user. Oh, of course. You know, I, I got to put at-bat on cease and desist on something. <laughs> okay. And I, mean, I think we can all agree, for people who like what we like, it's the greatest app It's the greatest of all, of time. all time, yeah. You know, this time of year, since we, this is the hot stove after all, uh-huh. I mean, this is when we want – the push alerts. To yes, be, we wanted to start with something that looks like this: all caps, uh-huh. the word "breaking," right, a colon, uh-huh. and then names like, oh, I don't know, Harper, <laughs> Machado, Kimbrel, right? Sure. Dude, this was the at bat app push today. <laughs> Feast your emoji eyes on the single weirdest strikeout in MLB history with the emoji of the yellow face scratching his chin. <laughs> I mean, this is what this is what the off season has turned into. Yeah, that's not uh, that's not the standard you're looking for. Uh, we need to I get, understand. We need to get the guys from the at bat push alert office on the line and just be like, guys, we feel for you, man. Like you got nothing to push. Actually, we need to get that person on the show. That I, would be I, fantastic. I, I, those poor that's guys. That's a great idea. They're like, uh, what else? Uh, uh, what are the craziest ballpark <laughs> feasts that you can have in 2019? Quit push it, push it. I mean. Like there's there's nothing there's nothing for them to put is out. Is that there. your alert voice? That yes, was it good. Is. That was really nice. It's very sinister. Uh, they should. I will talk to MLB. Maybe we can get your voice to go along with the alert. <laughs> voice like, just plays. Ding. Yeah. You have an bad push <laughs> alert. But I mean, isn't it? That sounds like you're going into Batman. This time of year, when when you see that icon come up on your screen, you're thinking, Hey, if someone's going down. Yeah. No. Yeah. Check out the weirdest strikeout. Those poor guys. <laughs> I got nothing else to do. Well, was, what, what was the weirdest strikeout? I didn't. I'm not. I'm not going to give that my attention, although I'm sure it was very entertaining. Uh, speaking of which, when we come back, Corey Brock covers the Mariners for the Athletic. A lot of good stuff to talk to Corey about after this timeout. All things Mariners, all off season. The hot stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710Sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Hot stove rolls along. Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill. Pleased to be joined on the phone by the Mariners writer for The Athletic, calling us from 
Brock Manor in Vancouver, Washington. The one and only Corey Brock. Corey, it's good to have you on the show, man. How are things? Goldie, uh, everything's great. And you got Gary there with you. This is a real treat. That's the big time, Corey. This is the big time. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome to it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I have not seen you at all this uh, offseason, although I have been following your work, proud athletic subscriber that I am. I know you just came out with a piece uh, today trying to forecast what the Mariners' 25-man roster might look like. Um, Do you feel like you were successful in figuring that out? (laughs) I don't know. Based on some of the comments, I'm not so sure. uh... (laughs) Comments are always right, Corey. They're always right. What did they tell you, uh, Aaron? Uh, never read the comments. Is that uh, the saying in our business? Um, yeah, I think it's pretty close I, for today. You know what I mean? Sure. But, you know, things are going to change. I'm sure between now and the end of spring training, uh, especially with this deep freeze going on in free agency, and you might wonder, like, how does this affect the Mariners? I still think there's probably a couple smaller pieces out there that they're going to add still that can help them this season. Not major pieces, but yeah, I think we all know by now that Jerry's not done tinkering with the roster. I still go back and forth on Edwin Encarnacion. I'm convinced he won't be there. But, you know, the longer or I should say the closer we get toward uh, next week when position players show up along with pitchers and catchers, I think it stands a chance of uh, him being there. So, yeah, I'd say it's a uh, – it's a, a nice little shot at what this roster could look like and probably will look like, but I think there'll be some tinkering along the way still. And you put your finger on one of the interesting aspects of the roster. If if uh, Edwin is on the roster, you have Daniel Vogelback with no more options, your last chance to really see uh, what he can do. Uh, it's pretty interesting to look at how that situation develops, especially if you're carrying an extra pitcher. There's just there's not a ton of room. No, and especially in the American League, Gary, as you know, you don't use your bench nearly as much as these National League teams do. So you really have a glut of these, you know, the first base DH type. And, you know, someone's not going to make the club. Or, you know, if you, you're able to move Encarnacion, that would certainly clear th- some things up a little bit. Um, I, I still really don't know what is going to happen with uh, with Daniel Vogelbach. Uh, we've seen some nice things from him. I, I can only imagine, guys, when we get down to Peoria, he's going to hit like 800 with 15 home runs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, those balls landing in Goodyear. Um, you know, it's just going to be um, kind of more of the same what we've seen. But, you know, we just haven't seen him, uh, the correlation between the success in the minor leagues and the big leagues. He'll run into one once in a while. You know, we talked about that one uh, Aaron, you remember the home run over the Hit It Here Cafe in April and then that grand slam in Houston late in the year. I mean, the power's real, um, but I, I just don't know where he fits in. He's a DH in my mind at this point. I don't think he really has a position anymore, so they got to figure that out. Yeah, the home run off the bullseye, essentially, of the Hit It Here Cafe was uh, uncharted territory, to say the least, for Vogelback. Yeah, I'm curious, when you look at the Mariners in 2019, Corey. Obviously, Mitch Hanniger is the guy that the Mariners put a lot of faith in. I mean, they anointed him the opening day right fielder two years ago when he really had barely played in the major leagues, a very small sample with the Diamondbacks prior to that. He proved last year, if he hadn't proved it already the year before when he was healthy, that he was everything the Mariners were thinking he was and more than that. I'm curious what it's like for you, Corey, when you cover the team and you talk to Mitch on a regular basis. What it, kind of a person he is like to cover because he is about as head down 
march forward i've got my routine i'll answer questions but i got to get back into the cage kind of guy as i've as i've ever seen in the game yeah, and, and remarkably consistent with that too, Aaron. And, you know, our good friend Ryan Divish at the Seattle Times, we joke about this a lot that Ryan calls uh, Mitch a robot. And, you know, I think he means that endearingly. Um, but, you know, you get the sense when you're talking with him that he'd much rather be hitting in the cage than uh, talking to a bunch of reporters. And that's no knock on him. I mean, he doesn't, I don't think he dislikes the process. I just think his priorities are so set on. Um, being the best player he can be and it really cramming enough work in uh, before games uh, so, so that he could be prepared each night. So uh, I think it's very admirable. You know, um, I know he went to Japan during the off season with that MLB tour, and I, I hope he was able to, well, I won't say let his hair down. He doesn't have that much, but at least be able to have some sushi and enjoy himself a little bit. But, yeah, he is he's very regimented, um, uh, and he'll give you what you need, but, like, you just really get the sense that you know he's there to play, he's there to prepare, and that's what uh, that's what his number one priority is. What is your feeling you get with Mitch in terms of being a leader for the Mariners and kind of this new page ahead for the ball club? Because obviously Kyle Seager is a guy who demands a lot of respect inside that clubhouse, and he has taken uh, it seems like almost countless younger Mariners under his wings, guys that are still with the club and guys who have who have left uh, via trade or what have you. I mean, is Mitch a guy you feel is going to be comfortable in that more of a vocal role? I think you can understand why he might not have been with the previous roster and the veterans that were on it. But what do you think about that projecting forward for Mitch? I, you know, I, I think absolutely he will. And, you know, I've studied leadership a lot as it pertains to sports. And I, and I think, you know, it, you talked about the vocal leadership. I think there's various ways to lead, and it's not always – you know, standing up on a couch in the middle of the dugout, beating your chest and imploring these guys to uh, play better or, you know, are just screaming at them. I think there's a real way to get your message and your point across in a subtle way. Maybe it's uh, taking a teammate aside, not airing him out in front of the entire room. And I, I think you're right. I think in a clubhouse now where he is truly one of the veterans, he's going to be a lot more comfortable doing that. And this is one of the things that Jerry talked about when he talked about hanging on to this core, of, you know, this core group, which is a, a pretty small core now that you got rid of Edwin Diaz, right? We're talking about Marco and we're talking about Mitch. But he talk, Jerry talked a lot about how he thinks Mitch is really going to help this next wave of players. Um, maybe they mirror his – uh, preparation or, or the way he goes about watching film and, the, you know, the countless hours he's spending in the cage. There's maybe some lessons there that can rub off on these other guys. And they really think that Mitch, for being, you know, for as quiet as he is and, you know, soft-spoken, that, you know, he could still impart a lot of impact on these young guys uh, without having to raise his voice. Of all the newcomers, and there's a lot of them, who do you find most intriguing to watch every day? Uh, you know, of this group, uh, that's a great question, Gary. Um, they're all kind of intriguing. Domingo Santana, a guy that's 6'5", rangy with a lot of power. That's going to be fun to watch. Malik Smith, I could probably just listen to him talk, you know, for just for hours. Boy, Aaron, is there the is he the anti-Mitch in terms of <laughs> personality? <laughs> Mal- Malik's you know, can command a microphone. Absolutely. He's going to put all of us out of work. Um, but, no, I think uh, for me, if, if you had to point to one, one guy, Gary, if I'm thinking about it, it's probably Kikuchi. I'm really fascinated about his assimilation to the big leagues, what that's going to look like, 
how he's going to handle it. Certainly they've set up this unique developmental program for him to kind of monitor his workload. So unlike a lot of these other pitchers that come over from Japan, they don't hit that you know barrier after two, three years where they're kind of burned out. Um, I, I'm really fascinated by what he becomes and how, you know, what level of success he's going to have in the big leagues. When you think about the Mariners in 2019, this, I think, Corey, very interested in what you think, strikes me as a potentially very entertaining team. Jerry has made it very clear, as if this wasn't seen or known already, that the Mariners don't go into 2019 with the same playoff, realistic playoff aspirations as they had in prior years. But nonetheless, this will be a, seemingly a very competitive team. When you kind of project the Mariners into a full 162-game season, how do you think this team shapes up with the rest of the West and the rest of the league as a whole? Well, you know, and this this kind of gets to the heart of why the Mariners have done what they've done in terms of this rebuild, uh, not just necessarily because you had a lot of, you know, expiring assets and some expensive contracts and the payroll was just kept climbing and climbing, but you know, I think Jerry had a really good point when he talked about the landscape of the American League and where a lot of these other teams are now. You know, you're looking at the Mariners maybe being the fifth fifth or so best team in the American League on a good day. They won 89 games last year and didn't get a sniff of the playoffs. And so I think, you know, looking at it now, um, the team is its interesting in the fact that I think there's some young guys that you're going to be able to be excited about if you're a fan. But there's also, you know, I think – I don't know, maybe I'm just, uh, this is a Pollyanna-esque kind of view of things, but I I look at Kyle Seeger um, maybe not being as unlucky and not as bad as he was last year. I think Ryan Healy, there's still a good player in there, especially if he could hit lefties like he did when he was with the A's. I think D. Gordon being healthy and being back at second base and not being bounced around, I think he's going to be good. And Malik Smith at the top of the order. I think it's an interesting team. Now, I I don't know if they're going to go out and win 80, 85 games, but uh, probably closer to 80, you know, maybe 75, 76. It's hard to say just because the American League, like I said, is so extremely tough. So, um, yeah, yeah, by no means. And I think the outsider's view of all this, Aaron, and you, I'm sure you've heard it before, is, you know, they think, you know, this is a big teardown. The team's going to lose 120 games. But I, but I look at this group, this you know, and they're thin on the bullpen side. I think we could all agree on that, right? You know, and I think they could, you know, the starting pitching. There's not a whole lot of depth there. But at least from a position player grouping, I think it's a, it's a fairly strong unit, um, especially if you have some guys that kind of get back to what they've done before. You mentioned the starting pitching, Marco Gonzalez breakout year a year ago. What are your expectations for Marco coming back from what really was a great year last year for him? Yeah, really good year. Yeah, you know, I think the sky is kind of the limit for him. And, I, you know, I look at his performance last year, and you when you hear about guys who have had Tommy John surgery like he did, um, when was that, 2016, it's always kind of that second year when uh, things start to kind of take a little bit more and start to uh, you end up looking a little bit more like the pitcher you were before, if not differently. Um, and I think he was a different pitcher than he was before. I think the, the introduction of that curveball and the cutter, um, and the changeup has always been such a good pitch for him. But, you know, I think we saw a level of fearlessness from him as we moved into the season with his ability to uh, not just get inside on left-handed hitters, but to get inside on right-handed hitters. And for me, that's always that's a big key for me when I think about left-handed pitchers who aren't really high-velocity guys. Are they willing to get inside? Because I tell you what, there's not a lot of room for error in there. Those balls usually end up as souvenirs if you miss 
even just by a little bit. But, you know, I think a real bulldog attitude. And, you know, I think this guy, he's just wired. Um, he's wired to win. And, uh, you know, I had a nice conversation with him a couple of weeks ago, and I wrote a story about him. And, his, um, you know, he's, I think, the way I've sort of pegged it, you guys might appreciate this. I think he's the only player who lives in Seattle year-round. Um, and he's made it no bones about it that this is his home. Uh, this is where he wants to be uh, personally and professionally. And I think, uh, again, I think he's just scratching the surface of some pretty big things. Only other guy, I think Hanniger's here year-round now. I think he's in West Seattle is, these days. I thought he trains a, a lot back in where Santa Cruz. Well, no, that's a good San point. No, that's a good point. He, I know he has a home in West Seattle, but you know he might. Yeah. He might go to the sun in the winter time. So, way to find the loophole, Corey. <laughs> Very nicely done. <laughs> hey, you know, Corey, I'm I am curious just to talk a little bit about your publication for a moment because there might still be some listeners that aren't familiar with the Athletic or haven't decided as to whether or not they want to subscribe to online journalism. But I remember, I guess at this point it was a couple of years ago. Once, once Ken Rosenthal signed to be the lead guy at the time and still writing about Major League Baseball for The Athletic, I mean, that was enough for me uh, to be able to read his work every day. And, of course, you were brought on covering the Mariners every day. At the time, this was really a groundbreaking publication in many ways. Uh, what was it like for you and for the publication, year one, covering the Mariners beat? Oh, Aaron, it was a lot of fun. I just like it. This really what we do at the athletic, you know, kind of some deep storytelling. And, you know, we don't do game stories. Um, kind of the thought process is that, you know, you could find that elsewhere. And I think you know, we live in an era now where, you know, by the time you go to bed, you've seen the, you know, you've either watched the game, you know, the final score, you've seen some highlights that maybe kind of, we kind of step back and kind of dig in and uh, tell some really fun and interesting stories and uh it, it really resonates with how i'm kind of wired journalistically these are the kind of stories i want to write and it was a blast last year and it's great having guys like ken rosenthal and jason stark as teammates and i, I think we've really our company has really found something found a unique niche i think we're kind of in this society now or at a time i should say where people aren't as reticent toward um, paying for additional services, right? You know, what are we talking? Uh, Washington Post, New York Times, Hulu, Netflix, you know what I mean? In order to kind of have that match up with whatever you're kind of looking for. So I think we fill kind of a unique void um, across the landscape of sports. And, we, you know, we have a, basically every sport covered with a really cool and unique group of, uh, of writers and journalists. So, you know, it was fun. The first year was a blast, and it was fun being back covering the Mariners. Again, this is the team I grew up watching. I covered them in 2006 for MLB.com. But, you know, I had some fun stories. You know, one of my favorites was, um, you know, kind of the, uh, the story about Scott Service's relationship with Daryl Kyle. It was, you know, the 25-year anniversary last summer of Kyle's no-hitter and Scott Service caught it, and we all know certainly Daryl Kyle passed away a few years after that. And you know, it's just fun to kind of dig deep and get some granular details, and uh, you know, get people to open up to you. So it was really a blast, and uh, I'm looking forward to a lot more of that this year. No, you do fantastic work, and we just like having you around on the beat as well. It's good to see you <laughs> on the road and see you at the ballpark here in Seattle, also. So, Corey, uh, thanks for joining us here tonight, my man, and we look forward to seeing you in Peoria as well. Yeah, good. Uh, when are you guys heading down? Uh, right around the start of. Of the games, I know uh, Gary's taking uh, the whole crew out there. What is it, Gary? Like three weeks early? Yeah, three weeks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Once the snow hit, yeah, we're out. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll be down there. Uh, what the nineteenth, seventeenth, something like that. Yeah, we'll be seeing you. Yeah, down I there. look forward to uh, seeing you guys down there. Absolutely, Corey. Thanks for joining us tonight, man.
Yeah, thanks for everything. I appreciate it. You got it. There is Corey Brock, great friend, terrific writer. You can find him on The Athletic. Well, buy more and save discounted tickets are available for groups of 20 or more. Flexible seating options, private hospitality, and picnic packages are all available to complete your group's day at the ballpark. For more information, to book your 2019 group date, just visit mariners.com slash groups. Well, just yesterday it was truck day at T-Mobile Park in the snow. We've got a special look at what truck day is like for all involved. That's coming up after this quick break. Back to more of the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Winding things down here on the hot stove. We will be hearing from Jerry DePoto coming up in about 10 minutes from now. We'll be breaking down the state of the farm system. The recent top 100 prospect list came out for many publications. Jerry will be talking about that. But first, Gary, yesterday it was truck day at T-Mobile Park. Moving day, which is a great day. Because moving day is what you get before pitchers and catchers. And pitchers and catchers is what you get before actual baseball. So moving day starts the whole thing. Many prerequisites is yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, it's great. Well, as uh, many loyal listeners you know by now, no one does montages quite like our very own Gary Hill. And here is a fine piece he put together all about moving day. The gray clouds continue to hang overhead, and Pacific Northwesterners wade through the puddles and slog through the winter squalls. But today... The first sign of spring. It was moving day for the Seattle Mariners. One giant and fully loaded truck ready to head to Mariners spring training. 1,506 miles, two stops, one in Medford, Oregon, one in Bakersfield, California, before arriving Thursday afternoon in Peoria. It's a whole winter uh, process that we started, you know, pretty much back in October. Um, but the last couple of weeks have been, you know, we've been going at it pretty good Monday through Friday. So, uh a lot of the labor is done today, and that truck will head out this afternoon and set anywhere from 35 to 40,000 pounds of, of uh, equipment. It's a 53-foot trailer, um, and we fill it all the way to the end. On the road again. Just can't wait to get on the road again. That's Mariners Clubhouse Manager Ryan Stiles. So the question is, what do they bring? Everything. Equipment, training supplies, uh, strength and conditioning. Uh, supplies, uh, uniforms, bags, bats, just all the things uh, that we use uh, during the regular season pretty much. We just try to condense them as much as we can into either trunks or bags, and you know, and then we'll get down there and disperse them out for everybody. The initial planning, you know, it starts a week or two right after the end of our season. We're, we're ready to go. I mean, after the new year, you know, we spend, you know, the, the whole month of January, you know, getting everything ready to go and, you know, getting it packed up and shrink wrap. Don't worry about nothing at all. 
once it gets there, you know, it'll take us a couple hours to unload. Uh, we usually get down there about two, two or three days before everybody else, so we have that time to get everything, you know, inventoried and put out and organized. Um, I understand there are a few players down there right now working out, you know, with, on the minor league side, so we'll get those guys over. We'll get as many guys outfitted as we, uh, as we can and, uh, you know, pitchers and catchers and then position guys and, you know, and the way we go. Have you ever forgotten to pack anything? I haven't. I haven't forgotten to pack. Uh, God, you know what? I haven't. I think I've been pretty good on that. That's impressive. Not yet. Hopefully I didn't jinx yeah, you. Yeah, you jinx me. <laughs> <laughs> The massive truck is loaded as the journey begins south and pitchers and catchers end spring just around the corner. Play ball! You know, I have to laugh about that because when you ask Ryan Stiles, Mariner's clubhouse manager, if he's forgotten something ever, and he says no, like, we forget things every year. <laughs> I know. That's why I asked. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, three years ago, we forgot all the baseball bats. We had to play without the ba- – I mean, yeah. I don't think there's a single spring training where we haven't Ugh. arrived on site, opened up the suitcase. Oh, man. Ah. <laughs> that's a great piece. That's one of my favorites. And I can't even imagine what it is like to get everything packed up and ready to go. But they are on their way off to uh, – Sunny Valley of the Sun, and we'll be seeing them shortly as a pitchers and catchers not too far from now. And uh, when we come back here on the hot stove, we will hear from the general manager, Jerry DePoto. He's going to be talking a little bit about the state of the farm system. Pretty interesting stuff here, some top prospect rankings and also some just overall farm system rankings. Jerry comes up next after this timeout. All things Mariners, all off-season. The Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Welcome back around the Hot Stove, Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill. And, you know, Gary, the uh, Mariners farm system has had uh, a lot of movement in the last <laughs> well, two months or so. What? <laughs> no. I know, I know. Uh, you know, we had a chance today to catch up with Jerry DePoto at T-Mobile Park, and we recorded the latest Wheelhouse podcast available wherever you get your podcast. And we had a chance to talk to Jerry with some detail and some length about uh, the state of the farm system and also the top 100 prospect lists that have been generated by basically every respected source in baseball and where he sees some of the Mariners stacking up on those. Depending on who is is evaluating, you know, it's, if it's Baseball America, I think they had four of our guys. If it's, you know, I think Keith Law, ESPN had three. There, there, we've been anywhere between two and four of the top 100 uh, on various services, and for the most part, those two or four players, I think, are all very deserving top 100 guys. We also think we have another one or two, maybe three, who, if not on the back end of that top 100, are just being, like, let's call it. They're being missed. And, and, and among them, I, we, we think one of our most extraordinary prospects is Julio Rodriguez, who has not shown up on any of these lists yet. I mean, are these people not on Instagram? Yeah, Do they just not watch, know about Julio? Man, just watch. Just follow him on Twitter. He's, uh, he's so fun. And, you know, we, we feel like Julio has a chance to, to, by midsummer, really start to make up some ground there. We think a healthy Kyle Lewis, uh, who's been a top 50 prospect in the game for the past two years, uh, despite really not being on the field. Uh, 
you know, sometimes when you go through these prospect rankings and you do them, they're exhaustive. There's 15 different sites that are going to rank prospects. They all do it in a slightly different way. And we have our own internal rankings. And we do rankings for the other 29 teams as well, mostly to see, A, who are the targets we want to acquire, but, B, where do we stand in the industry? And as a general rule, like the talent level at the big league level, when you get in the, the middle pack, it's really tight, you know? Somebody's 15 might be somebody else's 12 or somebody's 17. It is what it is. But, you know, the fact that we are now we are now capable of fielding four or five of the top 100 prospects in the game, that we've built depth on top of that. Uh, I think, as you see the fan graphs list come out, you'll see them do it in a slightly different way where they attach a monetary value to it or, or a war value on the back end. And that's interesting and closer to what we do. You know, we are, we're creating a long-term value to the player that is maybe a little different than just flat-out scouting uh, intuition. And right now with guys like Shed Long and Logan Gilbert and Kyle Lewis and Julio Rodriguez, who we feel like have every chance to be top 100-type guys, they've just not been there. And when you get guys like Kyle Lewis and, Kyle, and Justice Sheffield and even J.P. Crawford, who still just turned 24 years old, uh, just last week, I think, when you get guys like that who've been through the top 100 ringer three and four years in a row and they've, and they've started as rookie ballers and they've made their way to the big leagues and gotten a cup of coffee and they just haven't turned into stars immediately, a lot of times the, you know, the, the prospect fatigue will set in and you'll start undervaluing guys because they didn't turn into Mike Trout or Bryce Harper immediately. Some of them get there at a different pace. So while we're really proud of the fact that we have two to four of these top 100 guys, we think there are another handful that deserve to be in that discussion. And I do think that, that while the fatigue has set in for guys like JP or Justice Sheffield, these are real big league prospects. And, and don't let the semantics of whether he has X number of service days or not you know, dissuade you from believing that these are future impact players for the Mariners because we're really excited about them. To be fair to Ben Badler, a senior writer at Baseball America, he is on Instagram and in an Instagram story chat said of Julio Rodriguez, I think you're going to see him on a top 100 in the future. Gigantic power, and I'm a fan of the swing slash ability to translate it against live pitching. Very young, but a potential middle-of-the-order impact bat. It's only fitting that that would be communicated on Instagram. Naturally. Because I mean, to be fair to people who are evaluating these types of things, it hasn't really been easy to watch Julio Rodriguez play in person. No. And, and for the most part, and I think this is one of the things I find most, uh, I guess, easy to respect about the, the prospect grading systems, most of them aren't out there actually watching the players. They're just looking at performance and then trying to balance it with the lens of, signing bonus, prospect pedigree, draft position, which is part of the nuance we do. You know, we have a, we have a model that we run our players through, and, and all of that is weighted to a certain degree. And then they're doing the same things at Fangraphs, and they're doing the same things at the Houston Astros it's, and 28 other clubs. Everybody now has some type of formula by which they conclude where the value lies in this player. And it's why you see, uh, I guess, so many teams now are geared toward the same or through the same lens of player evaluation. And 
at, at some point in the bottleneck, you have to find a way to identify a player who's different than the others and take a little bit more risk. And to me, that avenue is the international market, is when you are out there and you're watching 15 and 16-year-old young players in Latin America, and, and or you're watching the 16 or 18-year-olds in Asia or Australia, that's your separator, is that there is no data. There's nothing you can measure uh, outside of the physical attributes of the player, and, and it's good old-fashioned scouting, and that's what led us to Julio Rodriguez. And there is an advantage to be found there by simply having good baseball people who can identify with an eye. Without giving up any of your internal rankings that might be uh, very private, can you kind of quantitate where you evaluate your farm system the second the final out of the regular season was made to where it is right now as we speak today? When the final out was made, we thought we were somewhere toward number 30. You know, whether that was number 28 or number 30, it was, it was something in that general range for roughly three years. We never thought we were much better than 28. Uh, end of season last year, we thought we were 30. And where we finished this offseason or where we head into spring training, we feel like we've, we're somewhere now in the 10 to 12 range and the way we view our system as compared to the league around us. And we feel like we're one prospect graduation, one leap forward by a healthy Kyle Lewis, by a Julio Rodriguez, or one more draft that looks like 2018. And if we're able to replicate that one more time and, and allow this to gestate, then, then we grow forward. The nuance is, and this is just how you evaluate your own players, the nuance is that we may we may – tab in as the 15th best system or the 12th best system on somebody's rankings. But at the end of the day, and, the, and maybe ours, at the end of the day, if we do our job, we should come in next year having moved down because we'll have graduated players like JP, like, like Justice Sheffield, like Yusei Kikuchi, who in some systems is still categorized as a prospect. And I don't think that means you move backward. We're just we're gathering up young talent and assets and the more we can get that are ready to play at the big league level, the better. Good insight there from general manager Jerry DePoto on today's Wheelhouse podcast, now available to download and listen wherever you find your podcast. Uh, Gary, obviously really interesting stuff, and to me it makes me very excited for the moment in time this year or maybe it's next year where the Mariners bring someone up through the system more than one stop, possibly like a Kalanick. Mm -hmm. And there is that buzz in the ballpark for that young player, which truly we, we have not seen from a Mariner since really Edwin Diaz. And even then you didn't know what you were getting in Edwin. And they have a number of those guys. Now you start to look at, at potentially, I mean, think about the first time Sheffield throws for the Mariners or sure. first time we see Evan White in a Mariners uniform or the first time that Rodriguez ends up in a Mariners uniform. I'm, those are going to be really exciting days, and really they're, they're starting to put the numbers in, your, in their favor, and that's the way I kind of look at this because nothing is ever a sure thing when it comes to prospects. We all know that, but if you can start to accumulate a number of talented players and especially this many talented players, you're putting the odds in your favor that you're going to hit on one, two, three, four, you know, however many. It just puts the odds in your favor, and they're really starting to do that when you look at the talent they're starting to collect. Now, building depth is the bottom right. line. Building That's depth right. for the first time in, in many years. So good stuff there. You can hear the rest of that conversation on the Wheelhouse podcast. When we return, we're going to wrap things up and uh, revisit a conversation earlier with Shed Long after this time out. 
Back to more of the hot stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Uh, it's been a fun night on the hot stove, and if you missed hour number one, we had a chance to catch up with one of the newest Mariners, infielder Shed Long, and we asked him a very simple question. Is there anybody on this team, Shed, that you know from baseball years past? See, for sure. Because now is that simply because of the the Florida connection? I know he and Barry Larkin. You know, D seems to know every Hall of Famer, <laughs> right. so he knows. I know he knows Barry Larkin. Is is there one of those two connections? Uh, yes. I mean, I um, I've known the I've known the Gordons, you know, for a little while now. But um, D and I, our connection came. It did like when I started working out with Larkin down in Florida, and D was around. I mean, like, since the first day we met, I mean, it was like he was my big brother. It was like we knew each other our whole life. And, I mean, ever since then, I mean, that was like five years ago. So, I mean, ever since then, I mean, we've been super close. Like, in the season, like, if I'm messed up, if it's not – if it's a player that I'm calling, you know, I'm calling him. I'm I'm calling D. I'm like, hey, you got to go watch my video. Like, you got to tell me something, like – what what you got for me, you know? So I mean, you know, we have that kind of relationship now. I mean, we were even together today. We just hit together this morning. How cool is that? I mean, you got Barry Larkin on one side, you got D Gordon on the other side. Shed Long's in pretty good, pretty good hands. Yeah, I would say so. He was a real treat to get to know. It yeah, seemed like fun. he would be that kind of a guy, and he did not disappoint. And he was, absolutely. And uh, if you want to hear the rest of that conversation, like I don't know, hearing him go through a fast food drive-in in D. Gordon's Lamborghini or something, you can find it. You can listen to this full show once again in podcast form as soon as tomorrow on the Mariners' official baseball podcast. Between this and the wheelhouse, you're all set for tomorrow, I think you're right? pretty. I think you got your your snow ice commute uh, all set up <laughs> yeah, and ready to go. Right. Well, this has been a fun one as usual. Our thanks to Shed Long and also Mariners' new pitching coach, Paul Davis, who joined us as well, and Corey Brock from The Athletic, who covers the Mariners' so well who hopped on the show with us tonight also gary this one is in the books we are one show closer to time in the valley of the sun yes pitchers and catchers and it's coming up man truck day yesterday pitchers and catchers around the corner we're glad you could join us here tonight on the hot stove this was a terrific show with some really good guests and i think this is a theme for this upcoming season there are some personalities on this mariners 2019 club Coaches, staff, players alike. So for Gary Hill and for the one and only Matt Nels, the running things for us tonight, I'm Aaron Goldsmith. Glad you could huddle up and join us tonight on the Hot Stove. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware. Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.